Hey guys, uh, welcome. Happy New Year. Hopefully you had a good New Year's Day, and I'm glad you're joining us online. If I've never met you, I'm Dan, one of the pastors here, and glad that you took the opportunity to jump online, check us out. i also let you know this, uh, <clears throat> we begin this weekend meeting back in person, and so uh, for those of you who may be watching this Saturday night and didn't know that, you can come and hang out with us. We'd love for you to RSVP. Uh, we're going to try to take all the precautions and so on and so forth. We're going to begin meeting back in person. Uh, it was really good to see a lot of you at Christmas Eve, right? Uh, some of you had a chance to come out in your cars. Uh, it was almost like a magical night, right? Almost like a Hallmark movie. Snowed. It was incredible. Had a great time together. So I uh, loved being able to see you, wave at you during that time. Uh, as we begin this new year conversation, uh, if you listened last week, uh, Pastor Aiden and I had a conversation and I said this. If you didn't listen, let me kind of catch you up to speed. I said I started out last year by saying, hey guys, one thing we can count on is this. There's going to be change this year. And uh, none of us knew the change that was going to happen in 2020, right? It's not starting to think, man, how to start out this year. Like, I need a line that's going to kind of set the year up. And I couldn't think of one. But I do want to say this. As we start out uh, 2021, one of the things I'm going to be saying repetitively over the year is this, is that we're going to challenge our campus to 3, 2, 1 in 2021. Easy way to remember. Three, two, one in 2021, right? You say, what's that? Here's all the challenge is. I'm going to challenge you every day, every day to pray for your three. Three people in your life who maybe don't know Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you to pray for your three. And I'm going to challenge you too. I'm going to challenge you to meet with two people, maybe once a week, that you can read the Bible with, pray with, and just kind of grow in your relationship with Christ together. So three, two, and then one, look for somebody this year that you can invite on the journey. Maybe invite them to a group that you're a part of, invite them to some things that maybe you can introduce them to the good news of Christ, maybe invite them to a service together, whatever it might be, invite them to watch online. Three, two, one, 2021. I think I'll make for a better year, right? Uh, but I'm really excited about the conversation. We're going to start a conversation this week. It is an important conversation, brand new year, brand new conversation. It's a vital conversation, and here's why it's vital. This conversation, spent a lot of time with the team talking about this year, kind of have the year planned for the most part, right? And we want to start this way. We're going to start with this brand new conversation. And here's why it's important. For some of you, it's important because you're somebody who would call yourself a Christian. And you're part of a church. Maybe you're part of this church. I don't know. But the truth is, if you were honest, you're more exhausted than you are excited right? You're, you're more crushed under the duty of being a Christian than you are delighted by the worship of being a Christian, right? And so this, this conversation is for you. Others of you have been hurt by church, and I want to have this conversation because the reason you've been hurt might be because the church that you were hurt by didn't understand what we're going to talk about in this conversation. And then there's others of you that you resist Christianity, and I'm so glad you're checking us out. Like you're, I don't, I don't believe in it. I reject it. But the truth is, I want to make sure you know what you're resisting. I want to make sure you know what you're rejecting because it might not be what you think. So out of this conversation, the conversation I want to have is based off a book by J.D. Greer called The Gospel. And so we're simply calling the conversation The Gospel. It's more than you think, right? The gospel is way more than you think. The Bible says this, it's so simple a child can understand it, yet it's so profound that angels long to look into it. Love that, right? Now, if you're watching this and maybe you're a church person and you're like, you're going to spend the next six weeks talking about the gospel? Like, how in the world are you going to do that? 
How are you gonna spend six weeks kind of unwrapping the simple gospel? <clears throat> if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're saying, this series is for you. Now we gotta start here. We gotta start with saying, okay, what's the gospel? Let me just kind of uh, pare it down for us. The word gospel means good news. And when you look at the story of God found in the Bible, here's what we find. There's a couple passages that kind of pare it down for us. First one is this. First one is this. First Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing this. He says, by this gospel, you're saved. Tells us something about the gospel. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have passed on to you is of first importance. Like this, start the year with this, it's of first importance, right? So it's like Paul is saying, this is a good conversation to start with. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Gospel. There's the elements of the gospel. Uh, Romans 5 gives us kind of the heart of the gospel. It says this, you see at just the right times, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you smash these two passages together, here's the gospel in a nutshell. First starts with God loves me. For some of you, that's new news, but that is really good news. You might not be sure what God thinks about you. The Bible's clear, gospel's clear, God loves you. But the second is this, I'm a sinner. I probably don't need to convince you that, right? I probably, if I do, we need to meet, right? But I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. But the third part of the gospel is this, is that Jesus died for me, died for my sin while I was a sinner, right? And then as I look at these two passages, the fourth part is this. He didn't just die, but he was buried, is alive, and is coming back, right? That's the gospel. It's like that song Pastor Aiden will lead us in occasionally, right? Like living, he loved me, Jesus. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away, right? And then it says this, rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, right? I love that song. But at least to the last part, and I would say it this way, when I say yes to him, place my faith and trust in him, I am saved from my sin into his family forever. That's the gospel. For some of you, that's the first time maybe you've ever heard the gospel. I don't know. And, and I am so glad you're watching this because that is the good news of the Bible, that God loves you, that Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. You don't gotta get all cleaned up. And that you simply have to say yes to him to be forgiven of your sin, part of his family, and it's a forever thing. Love that. There are a lot of you that are watching this. You're like, yeah, I knew that. And here's what I would guess. A lot of you like, I know what you just said because you know the facts of the gospel. But if you're honest, you know the facts of the gospel, but the chances might be that you've never grown and grasped the fullness of the gospel. That's why we're doing this series. You see, for a lot of us, the gospel is God's get out of hell plan. You know what I mean by that? Like somebody literally scares hell out of you. You ever have that happen? I have, right? And they're like, pray this prayer after me. Like, oh man, you know, I don't wanna go to hell. And so you repeat the prayer. This gospel prayer. And for a lot of us, that's where the gospel begins and that's where it ends. As though all the gospel does is save us from hell. Listen, lean in, lean in. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's why we're doing this series. The gospel does save us from hell, but 
There is so much more when it comes to the gospel. J.D. Greer, in his book that we base this series off of, simply says this. He says, the gospel is not only the means by which you get into heaven, but it is the driving force behind every single moment of your life. It's the power. It's the picture. It's the why. And when you and I do not capture that reality, we are prone to what Martin Luther, guy in the 1700s, said. Well, what Martin Luther said is literally the default mechanism of our heart. We're, we're prone to religion. And I want to tell you this, that religion, man-made religion, is drastically different than the gospel. It's the very thing Paul confronted in a book called Galatians. Grab a Bible, grab your phone, go to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to just hang there for a minute. Galatians 1, New Testament, Galatians 1. Paul's writing to a group of people, and what they have done is this. They somehow have gone from the gospel to man-made religion. And so Paul says this, Galatians 1. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What he's saying is this, is that man-made religion perverts the gospel. They're different. What's the difference between man-made religion and the gospel? Let me give you some ways they're different. This is how we're going to start our conversation. And it's so important that you understand this because some of you maybe didn't understand. It's important to understand the gospel is different than man-made religion. And Galatians 1 tells us four or five ways they're different. <clears throat> First is this. The gospel says, I need rescued. Man-made religion says, I need refined. That is a huge difference between the gospel and religion. Uh, suppose I come to your house. <clears throat> I promise I won't, right? But suppose I come to your house, right? And I knock on the door right? And, and, and you come to the door. Maybe you're cleaning the house. Maybe you're kind of vacuuming. And I don't know, whatever it is you're doing, you come to the door. And what if I said to you, hey, I'm here to rescue you? What would be your response? You'd be like, thanks, <laughs> right? Like, like you might look at me and be like, well, I appreciate you coming, but from what? But, but, but imagine that I came knocking and said, I'm here to rescue you. And then I said, come outside with me for a minute. And I showed you smoke billowing up from your house. Your response would be different, right? You'd be like, oh, thank you, <laughs> right? Thank you. I, I can see you came to rescue me from something that maybe I wasn't aware of. You see, here's what I know. When you're in a burning house, whether you're screaming from the third floor, realizing you're trapped in a burning house, whether you're vacuuming unaware of it or maybe even sleeping through it, the truth is if the house is on fire, you're in danger, whether you realize it or not. That's what the gospel says, that whether we admit it, believe it, realize it or not, we need rescued. We are all in the burning house, so to speak. Some of us realize it. We're like screaming from the third floor. We know our life is on fire. You know your life's on fire. Some of us don't know. Some of us don't know. We're, we're literally sleeping through it. Others of us, we know our life is on fire, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to organize 
the house of our life while it's on fire. The gospel says this, that our life's on fire and the gospel's all about God rescuing us. Religion's drastically different. Religion says this, ah, you just need to refine your life, modify your life, change your behavior, tweak a few things. It leads to another difference. Back to Galatians 1. He says this, Grace and peace, God our Father, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Look what he says. According to, say it out loud, to the what? Will of our God and Father. Big difference between the gospel and religion. Write this down somewhere. The gospel is God's plan to get to us. Religion is man's attempt or plan to get to God. Clear from the beginning of Genesis, you can see this, right? That, that religion is man's attempt to get to God. The gospel says that God initiated the plan. Now, let me, let me stop for a minute. Do you know why? Do you know why God initiated the plan? Let me tell you why. Because he flat out loves you. Period. Full stop. He loves you. That's why he initiated the plan. God loves me and he came to rescue me. His plan, his will, was to make the first move. The gospel is not about how I find my way to God. For some of you, this is so important you hear this today. But the gospel begins with he made his way to me. He meets us right where we're at today. Some of you are in the burning house of your life and he meets us right where we're at. You know, religion is different than that. You know what religion does? Religion is like 40 steps to get to God, 30 hoops to jump through to get a better life right now, right? That's religion. The gospel's different. I heard this illustration, and, and it kind of stuck with me for some reason, but the illustration <clears throat> kind of went like this. Suppose you're in the middle of the ocean, drowning, and you can't swim, <laughs> okay? That, you're in deep weeds, right? Or deep waters, right? Middle of the ocean, drowning, can't swim. This illustration said this, religion does this. Religion stands on the shore and yells out and tries to teach you how to swim while you're drowning. Religion tells you to try harder, to kick harder. The gospel is God jumping in the ocean to rescue. You see the difference? You see, the gospel's different than religion. This is mind-bending to me, guys. This blows my mind that God had me in mind and he made the move towards me, which leads to the next thing. What did he do? We'll look back at Galatians 1. It's all in here, right? The Bible is so full, so full of treasure. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Though it says, who what? <clears throat> Say the words out loud with me. Interactive here. Who what? Gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Here's the gospel that God initiated the plan, and here's what happened. Jesus ran into the burning house. Jesus jumped into the ocean. Here's the difference between the gospel and religion. I want you to write it this way. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing else. You could even write it this way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Done. Religion says, yeah, Jesus, but it's usually plus or minus something right? The gospel says that God loves me and that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he did everything necessary. There's nothing more. 
The key word is this, if you want to write this down. The gospel is done. Religion says do. You see, the gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing else. Religion says, nope, it's Jesus plus something. Some of you grew up in churches this way, right? Well, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have Jesus plus you gotta be really good. It's Jesus plus be baptized. It's Jesus plus become a member of the church. It's Jesus plus I gotta get rid of some bad habits. It's Jesus plus, and what Paul is saying is that nope, it's Jesus plus nothing, right? You see, for some of you, it's Jesus minus something, right? And that that's the prison of religion. Some of you are in the prison of religion, right? For some of you, like, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. So I think Jesus was a good teacher. He was a great example, but the whole Easter thing, that doesn't really resonate with me. You see, religion says that it's Jesus plus something, or maybe it's Jesus minus something. The gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing. He goes everything. Anything, Paul would say this, that adds or subtracts to what Jesus did, listen close, anything that adds or subtracts to what Jesus did is no gospel. What, what Paul says is this, it's not true news. It's not even really good news. In fact, it's fake news. <laughs> Look what he says back at verse 6 and 7. He, he, he says this, he says that, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's like they turn to a different gospel, right? Which is really no gospel at all. He said there's something wrong with it, right? Now, 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 Paul says something very interesting. He begins this whole paragraph with two words. Look what he says. He says, this whole thing starts with this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells me something very important about the gospel that makes it different than religion. Write this down somewhere. The gospel, for some of you this is going to be freeing. The gospel, it produces grace and peace. Just write it down somewhere. You know what religion produces? Yeah, I know you do. I know you already know, don't you? Because some of you feel this. Some of you have grown up in church and this is what you, you feel. Guilt. Religion produces guilt. Some of you, that's, that's your entire Christian life. Uh, and it produces pride. Paul says grace and peace. The gospel produces grace. And, you know what grace is? Grace is I get what I don't deserve and I could never earn. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Write this down somewhere. There's no slide for it. The gospel starts with grace and continues with grace. Here's the gospel. I want you to get it to grow in it, and to give it away. That's the gospel. The gospel starts with grace, and it continues with grace. The gospel is how I become a Christian, but the gospel is the very thing that drives how I live as a Christian. See, that's why Paul said in verses 6 and 7, somebody's jumped in on you on this thing. Somebody's perverting the gospel. You started with it, he says, but, but, but somehow you left it. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and that you're turning to a different gospel. When you stop living in the grace of Christ, you're turning to a different gospel, which is man-made religion. I start with the gospel, I stay with the gospel, I grow in the gospel, and I give the gospel away. Uh, in his book, 
J.D. Greer, uh, he says something really fascinating. Let me just read it to you. I wrote it here in my notes. He says, for many evangelicals, or let's just say this for, for people who would call themselves Christ followers. I'm not sure what evangelical, everybody kind of confuses that word, right? Let's just say for many people who would say I'm a Christian or a Christ follower, the gospel functions solely as the entry right into Christianity. It's the prayer we pray to begin our relationship with Jesus. It's the diving board off which we jump into the pool of the real Christian life. Now listen, the gospel, however, J.D. Greer says, is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. It's not only the way we begin in Christ, it's the way we grow in Christ. As Tim Keller, he quotes Tim Keller in here, he says, he says this, that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Z. All of the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus has done. Reminds me of a story. Guys, so bad, this is back when, before people were flying all over the place, so bad wanted to make a trip across the Atlantic on a boat, but he could not afford it. Couldn't afford it. There was no way, and he couldn't work hard enough, long enough to be able to afford the trip. Somebody graciously gave him what he couldn't afford, gave him what he couldn't earn, accomplished on his own, gave him a ticket on the boat. He was excited. I'm going to be able to take the trip. And so what he did was he packed what he had, meager belongings, and then he packed enough food for every day that he was going to be on that trip. What was interesting is this, he went on that boat ride because somebody paid for it. They're like, they wanted him to experience this. While he was on that boat ride, he used to watch the other people just enjoying all the different activities on the boat while he just simply looked out at the ocean. Every time they gathered in this grand ballroom to eat, he would sit outside the ballroom eating the food that he had packed, peanut butter and jelly, crackers and cheese. Finally, Towards the end of his journey, a guy saw him sitting out there. Every day saw him sitting out there. And the gentleman came out to him and said, Sir, I noticed you never join us in the Grand Ballroom to eat this incredible food, to join us in the incredible celebration in the, in the ballroom. He said, I wonder why. The man said this, I couldn't afford even the ticket. Somebody had to give me the ticket to get on the boat. I surely wouldn't be able to afford all the amenities while riding the boat. The man looked at him and said this, Sir, didn't you know that your ticket included all the amenities? <laughs> Here's what I think. So many of us, when we think about the gospel, we think it gets us on the boat. But we never enjoy the fullness of the boat and all the amenities of the gospel. Some of you watching this, I don't even know who else watching this, you started with the gospel of grace, which says you cannot earn your favor with God. It only comes by grace, for, by what Jesus did. And yet somewhere along the way, you have begun to try to earn your favor with God by your own effort. You start with grace, you stay with grace, but it also produces peace. The gospel is the only way for me to have this peace, this peace that I long for. Many people are longing for peace and the gospel and only the gospel produces peace with God and the peace of God. Romans 5 says it this way. It says, therefore, right? 
since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Look at this. We have peace with God. Why? Because of what we do? Nope. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Listen, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. The only way for you to be at peace with God, you can't make your peace with God. I say this all the time. You cannot make your peace with God. Peace with God comes because of what he did for you. It's by saying yes to the gospel. And only when you're at peace with God can you experience the peace of God. Right? And when you experience the peace of God, then you can extend the peace of God to others. Wouldn't that look interesting in our world right now? Don't you think that would look interesting if some grace and peace were extended? <laughs> Why isn't it more extended? I think it's because somewhere along the way we've given up on this thing called the gospel. The gospel produces grace and peace. You know, religion produces guilt and pride. Why? Why does religion produce grace and pride? Just think about this logically. Why? Because the focus is on me. That's why. And so it produces guilt because maybe on one hand I'm in total despair because my life is a wreck. Maybe that's you. And my life is a wreck so I'm ashamed and so I live the rest of my life in guilt and despair. Or, or comparatively speaking, I'm doing pretty good compared to everybody else. And so I live with this self-righteous pride. You ever been around somebody like that? Right? That's what religion does. Because it focuses on me. Which leads to this last distinction and it's so important. Look what it says back to Galatians 1. It says, who gave himself for us for our sins, rescue us, talked about it, present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, it was his plan, to whom, say the words out loud, to whom be glory forever and ever. This big difference between the gospel and religion. The difference is this. In the gospel, God gets the glory. In religion, I seek the glory. In the gospel, here's what I want you to, write this down somewhere. God's the hero. God's the hero, period, right? I like to say it this way. It's not look at what I've done. It's look at what he's done. I like to say it this way. The gospel is all about turning the lights bright on Jesus. Like, like that's what the gospel does. When I really get the gospel, I want the lights turned bright on Jesus. Why? Because the big deal is what he has done, who he is. In religion, I, here's what happens. I want the lights to be turned on me and what I do and what we're doing and what we've done. The gospel's about what he did, what he is doing. He gets the glory. The gospel is radically different than man-made religion. Some of you have been hurt because you belong to a church that was all about religion. Some of you are exhausted under the devotion of your duty because you have quickly somehow gotten on the boat, but somewhere along the way, you've left the gospel. Some of you are rejecting Christianity because you thought, wow, man, there's this code. You, and the deal is this, that it was something different than you thought. Now, here's something interesting. and Here's where I want to land today, and we're going to pick up next week. There is a difference between knowing the information of the gospel. Now listen, that's where I'm going to end, and experiencing the gospel. J.D. Greer in his book, which I'd encourage you to pick up. In fact, we have some here at the church building, right, uh, for a discounted uh, rate. Uh, we'd love to make those available to you. But in his book called Gospel, 
He says this, being able to articulate the gospel facts is one thing, but having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. I love in the book, he quotes this uh, Puritan pastor from the 1700s. So maybe you heard his name, Jonathan Edwards, right? But he says something interesting. He compared it to a man who was told that honey was good. So this man was told honey was good. And so he would look at honey and he could say, man, it looks like it's good. And so what he decided to do was believe honey was good. He was told it was good. It looked good. So he believed honey's good. But that was drastically different than when he took his first taste of honey. When he tasted honey for the first time, he knew it was good. See, here's what Psalm 34 says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, here's my biggest concern for 21st century American Christianity. There are some people rejecting Christianity because they have never been told the truth of the gospel, but there's a whole bunch of people who would say they're Christians who know the facts of the gospel, but they've never tasted and experienced the gospel. And until you experience the gospel, until you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will never grasp the fullness of the gospel. There are, you're saying, Dan, why is that so important? I think there's three, probably more than this, but three, at least three reasons this is so important. Can I talk to you about them real quick that will lead us where we're going next week? Why is it so important for you and I to experience the gospel, not just know the facts of the gospel? First reason is this. Write it down somewhere. I'll give you time. Experiencing the gospel is the key to keeping the greatest commandments. Experiencing the gospel is the key to keeping the greatest commandments. Do you remember the time Jesus was cornered? He's being tricked. His expert in the law comes and says, Jesus, which of these 600 and some odd commands are the greatest? Which are the best, the, the most important? Remember Jesus' answer? Uh, Matthew 22, write that down somewhere. You can look it up later, check me. I think verse 37 is where we're starting. It says, Jesus just literally says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, first and greatest commandment. Second's like it, love your neighbors yourself. All of the law, he says, like all of it hangs on these two commandments. I don't know if that's ever struck you as interesting, but it did Martin Luther. Martin Luther called this the great dilemma, which I think is interesting. Why would he call it the great dilemma? Because you can't really be commanded to love somebody, can you? I mean, if you love something, don't you, do you really need to be commanded to love? Like, like you don't have to command me to kiss my wife. <laughs> like, you don't have to command me to hug my kids and join my grandkids. I was just there last night, right? You don't have to command me to do that. Like, I, I just do. What's the key to keeping the greatest commandments. Jesus said these are the greatest commandments. Well, the key is found in 1 John 4. Look what it says. John says this. We love, there's keeping the command. Why? Why? Because we've experienced his love. We love because he first loved us. Love is a response to being loved by the God of the universe, right? Too often, Christianity focuses, maybe this is how you grew up, Christianity focuses on a set of behaviors and not affections. And so it creates people who act right without loving right. 
It reminds me of a, a story. I, I've shared it before. Maybe you've, you've heard it if you've been here to the campus. Of a little boy who kept getting in trouble. Like fourth or fifth grade. He kept getting in trouble and his dad didn't know what to do. And so his dad had a relationship with an old man in a nursing home. And so he commanded his boy to go visit the old man. He wanted his boy to appreciate, respect, and love the old man like he did. So every Wednesday, the boy had to go. And at first, it was kind of fun. The stories were cool. The experience was interesting. But week after week, and finally, his friends would say, aren't you going to play soccer with us? No. Got to visit the old man. <laughs> it felt like the old man's story started to repeat themselves, right? But week after week, he'd go visit the old man. Till, till one day, the old man said, hey, let's go for a walk. The old man was mobile, and they went for a walk downtown, and he said, let's get an ice cream cone. The little boy said, that'd be great. I love ice cream. So they're walking back with their ice cream cones in hand in the middle of very urban setting. A car pulled up beside the couple, and out of the back seat came a gun. As quick as the gun came out, the old man spotted what was happening and stood between the gun and the boy. Bam! And he got shot. Thankfully, it didn't kill the old man. But what's interesting is this. The old man recovered in the hospital and eventually was back home. The next Wednesday came about and the boy said, Don't you want to skip visiting the old man and play soccer with us? And he said, Not on your life. Not on your life. I want to go today and I may want to check it out tomorrow and see what he needs on Saturday because I love the old man because that old man loves me so much that he stood in the way of what was heading my way. You see, Jesus says, love the Lord your God. And some of you are trying so hard. Like, I'm going to try my best this year to love him. And the truth is the secret to keeping that command is experiencing the love that he has for you found in the gospel. The second thing is this. This is so important. Write this down somewhere. Experiencing the gospel is the secret to producing genuine spiritual fruit in your life. It's the secret to growing up spiritually. We'll talk about this, but John 15 says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory, says verse 8, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He's saying the secret to spiritual fruitfulness or growth comes in abiding in Jesus. Jesus. 